This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Worry not. Worry not, I say to you. We will be regularly checking the CNN countdown clock that measures the hours, minutes, indeed the seconds, until the Green Party presidential town hall meeting on CNN tonight. We will be checking with that countdown clock every 10 seconds or so throughout the show today. Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network, and the line I hope you will use and even abuse is one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Let's hear from you. Even now, you can steer the direction of the show. You can drive the show right now. We happen to have all of our lines open at one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Now, I know you're thinking that means if I call now, I'll be on. It's a reasonable assumption, except, of course, this is me we're dealing with. I mean, me and you. And so I could get caught up in deer hunting or something, and uh, the which I don't do, though I don't condemn. See, see, see already. Uh, and And also, if I were convinced somehow that you were... Uh, you know, you you looked you looked like, and were as smart as Jen. See, you'd you'd go on sooner than if I thought you were a big hairy guy, you know, from Texas. But that's just the way it goes. There's no reason you don't need to worry about. Th- I'll worry about these things. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. I, I wish to start with an obituary, and I, I, all obituaries are are sad. Uh, I, I suppose I don't mean for this one to be melancholy, although, again, by necessity they are to a degree, uh, all such. But when I, when I have been asked. And frankly, more often when I ask myself, you know, who who are the people who most influenced me in what I suppose were my most formative years? Although I like to think my formative years are today, between 3 and 5 o'clock Eastern time. I'm not kidding. 
I'm so now that I'm much closer to the end of my life than to the beginning of it. Uh, I'm I'm so hyper aware. Is this what comes with middle age? I'm so hyper aware of of of, of being appreciative of both knowledge and wisdom. And I don't. I honestly, for you know, for for once, when I talk to this subject, I don't mean to be immodest in the slightest. I really don't. But I'm so hungry for knowledge. When I like stay awake at night listening to BBC, and I learn stuff about the migratory or predatory habits of the sub-Saharan uh, desert cat or night owl or something, and I. I'll never use that, but it's something I didn't know. And now I know it, and it's interesting stuff. All stuff is interesting. All stuff is interesting. And it just, I love learning, and I just wish I had learned more sooner. But in any case, when I look back at the, the people who have most influenced me in the, the, the you know, the youngest third of my life John McLaughlin bye bye no, John McLaughlin right bye bye John McLaughlin the original TV issue talk show host the, and I mean the original if you were doing radio you'd have to go back to uh, Barry Farber. You, you'd have to go even, you know, pre Bob Grant. You'd have to go back to like Barry Farber, or uh, the Gambling Brothers, the Gambling Family in New York. Uh, but John McLaughlin, bye bye, hosted the first ever real issues TV talk show. It was four chairs with a coffee table in the middle and then, well, five chairs, four chairs, two on each side, coffee table in the middle, and then at the head of the table, a fifth chair in which John himself uh, uh, sat on the throne, so to speak. John McLaughlin, I, I'm not going to try to explain to you who he is. You either... This is one of these people that you absolutely know or do not do not know who he is. And, and you absolutely have an opinion about him if you're acquainted with him, even a little bit. You, you say, ah, oh, I love that guy. Or, ah, I really didn't like that guy. I'm not going to say hated because it, it's impossible to hate John McLaughlin. Uh, it, I think. But, anyway... John McLaughlin died last night, and he was one of the most formative people in my life about learning how to think, not what to think, how to think. And I think that John, I can call him John because I knew him and I was on his show, and I, and we, we hit it off. And he was always quite kind to me. And I was very young. He helped me early in my career by having me on his national shows when I was really uh, coming up 
in, in the profession. I wasn't anybody. I was just starting to be a source for you know, the Washington Post, New York Times, and starting to run some of the bigger campaigns, stuff like that. But I was really in my infancy in the business. And McLaughlin, Dr. McLaughlin, to me, took a shine to me and gave me a chance and would have me on his shows and was always very kind to me. I like to think, looking back on it, that I earned it. But I didn't earn it at first. He had to take a chance on me. He had to take a chance on romance. And he did, and he gave me a chance. And John McLaughlin is a former, was a former Jesuit priest. Which, of course, and again, without getting into that, explains why he was so brilliant at presenting, analyzing issues, why he was a polemicist of the first order, and why he was, I guess the father of issues talk shows was William F. Buckley on his PBS show. And beyond that, though, the first major audience, major syndication, national issues, kind of pre-talk show, uh, radio talk show, only on television, was John McLaughlin, the McLaughlin Group, and his and his show on uh, CNBC and MSNBC and on the NBC properties. And he was a smart but really lovely guy. I mean, the, 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 the person that immediately comes to mind, and this is not true of everyone, as you know, but if you, if you think of someone, sometimes you can pair them with someone else. In terms of personality, in terms of virtue, personality, in terms of his assets, in terms of his intellectual prowess, his humor, his affectionate nature, his sporting nature, everything about John McLaughlin screams that he did have a soulmate, and that soulmate is Patrick J. Buchanan. So I hope, I hope, Dr. McLaughlin, in honoring you uh, on the occasion of your passing, you take, as I intend, the, the compliment of saying that as I would if Pat had passed, uh, I would pair him with John McLaughlin. Well, John McLaughlin, a giant in the field of media and politics and polemics has passed and a great disturbance and loss has occurred in the force. And uh, John McLaughlin, thank you and rest in do peace. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. 
okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. The Jay Severin Show. I really will miss John McLaughlin and everything he did on that show. And again, if you've ever seen the show, you know who and what I'm talking about. And uh, if you didn't, you, you know, I must say you missed something. But there it is, and life is all too short. Uh, I have no Twitter. Again, I mean, still. I just want you to know, uh, you know I read your tweets, and you know I answer them. And I love it, and I love you, and it's very frustrating to me. Uh, I told you the whole story yesterday. I haven't fixed it yet. I may not be able to, I may not be able to fix it on the telephone. It may have to go back to the shop. There it is. I have no Twitter and I have limited email. So I'm, I'm trying to uh, deal with some of our partners to get the word to you, but there it is. No Twitter. All right. Uh, Olympic update. And this is going to be a short one today because to make it, Otherwise, would just be to gloat uh, immodestly. And, you know, I never want to be guilty of that. Okay. If you recall what we talked about any time we've talked about the Olympics, which is a little bit almost every day, and yesterday, yesterday I kind of outlined, yesterday was the big Olympic show uh, in which I outlined all of the reasons that Rio is a disaster as an Olympics, starting and pretty much ending with the fact that you cannot have a civilized... This is a quote worth noting. One cannot have... One cannot conduct a civilized event in an uncivilized place. And you know who said that? Me! And I I, uh, reiterate the charge. One cannot have a civilized event in an uncivilized place. And the today, this whole thing has now collapsed into, well, I, the, the Olympics has not collapsed, but the scandal has pretty much uh, imploded officially. Now, you may not have heard this because the media in general is in no great rush to report this to you, but get this. The International Olympic Committee, uh, here and after IOC, International Olympic Committee, IOC, the IOC has, I don't know, a handful of board members. I don't know if it's four, I don't know if it's ten, but it's got a handful of board members who control everything. And depending on with whom you speak, they're all on the take. They're like Harry Reid of Nevada. They go into office broke and all of a sudden in two years they're real estate magnates. They're 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 worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They're like Hillary and Bill Clinton. 
They left the White House. Have you seen this spot? They're running now. Hillary Clinton says, we left the White House not only broke, but in debt. And now, uh, as of like last week, their net worth is in the hundreds of millions. But they didn't do anything wrong. People just gave them that money because they like them. Okay. A guy named uh, John, I believe is his first name. His last name is Hickey, which is Dickensian in in a sense, because he was certainly sucking on someone's neck. Uh, John Hickey, who happens to head up the Olympic organization for the nation of Ireland, but in addition, in addition to which, uh, regional title, he is a member of of the of the it of the International Olympic Committee, the IOC, the board member. This guy could not be more important when it comes to the Olympics. He was arrested in his hotel room last night. Now, however I complete this sentence makes it a very different story, and I know what you're expecting, and I only wish for his sake it could be was arrested with Marie Osmond and strippers who were triplets and and all uh, contestants in the Miss Brethil contest last year. I'm, But I'm deeply sorry to report to you. I cannot tell you that because that's not what happened. What happened is John Hickey was burst in upon last night and arrested by the federal policia in Brazil, and he had in his possession nearly 1,000 of the most prime tickets. Remember how we've spoken intermittently and yesterday at some length about the empty seats at the arenas, and we were attempting to explore that. And the explanation of Brazil is, well, you know, our folks don't really like to sit for long periods and watch stuff, especially if our team isn't playing. Which is, by the way, another issue, because Brazil has the rudest fans so far in any Olympics in history. They they jeer and boo and catcall at the most inappropriate moments against anybody who's not from their country. So they're acting like absolute pigs in every respect, as hosts, as criminals, as muggers, as fans, everything. Uh, they broke in on this guy's room. This guy, again, is like in the presidential suite at the finest hotel in Rio. Well, it was probably pretty fine. And they found nearly a 1,000 tickets, which are what's left of the tickets he didn't yet sell to, as the BBC says, touts. Uh, in this country, we'd say scalpers. And they have a guy they arrested on uh, the opening night, the opening ceremony, which is traditionally one of the highest priced, hardest to get tickets. Well, the scalpers were selling tickets that they got from this guy, a board member, an IOC board member. He, he stole hundreds or thousands of tickets and then was in a criminal conspiracy with these guys. That's not the charge. I don't know what the formal charge is, but that's the 
act that generally characterizes in our law what the, the, for openers what he did. He engaged in a criminal conspiracy to to uh, uh, misappropriate these tickets, steal them, and then sell them to scalpers who sold them and gave him cash. A member of the IOC, a board member of the International Olympic Committee. And he had, what was it, 900 tickets on him when they busted him? And they have a guy who's willing to testify that uh, he turned state's evidence. He's willing to testify this guy was has been supplying tickets, which they sell at, you know, these outrageous prices, which may help explain why the folks who have no money to begin with didn't have this money. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Jay Severin Show. Partners and with partners, we are the Blaze Radio Network. I am Jay Severin of Coast to Coast and the Ships at Sea. one 888 one Okay, so I told you the Olympic update would be short and bittersweet because it's now imploded into the scandal it so richly deserves, considering the scandalous modalities in which it's been operating. But that's that's over for today, which may disappoint you, or I may that may be that collective sigh of relief I'm hearing. Uh, Scott Rupert, if I have this right, and I uh, please uh, forgive me, uh, Mr. Rupert and all, for not knowing this, this is the sort of thing you could awaken me at 3 a.m. with a bucket of water and ask me everyone on the ballot in any state uh, and what the poll numbers were. And I knew and I had to know to do my business. I no longer do that. Now, if you throw water in my face at 3 a.m., um, I reach for my weapon. But uh, Scott Rupert, welcome. How are you, sir? I am well, sir. Now, I take it, if I have this right, you are an independent candidate on the ballot uh, running what is essentially a three-way race uh, against uh, ultimately Republican incumbent U.S. Senator uh, Rob Portman, and the Democrat is, uh, is Ted Strickland, yes? That is correct, and I was also on the ballot in 2012 as an independent candidate when Sherrod Brown was the incumbent and Josh Mandel was the challenger. I'm, uh, I'm engaged in a, in a project to, to defeat the division that the parties have created among the people by winning an election as an independent candidate. Yes, I was going to say, uh, given what knowledge I have of the personalities and process in the all-important state of Ohio, I, I would say maybe at this point I should just refer to them as Goliath and you as David. Yes, that's a good that's a good analogy, <laughs> and I and I always I always uh, w- with that analogy, I'm, I like to point out to people that David did with a stone what Saul did <laughs> yes. with an army. 
Yes. And speaking of stoned, this makes you the Gary Johnson of the Buckeye State. No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> well, if at least Austin in one Peterson, respect. If Austin Peterson had got the nod, you could call me the Austin Peterson of, of the Buckeye State. <laughs> uh, I, my, I my meant only the Constitution. <laughs> I, I know. It. No, no, I, I was kidding. I was kidding, of course. Yeah. But in a sense, it does because he's mounting an independent candidacy in the, you know, in the right. Yeah, that's that's true. In Ohio, he is jaws of uh, yeah. conventional politics. And that's true. In Ohio, Gary Johnson will be on the ballot as an independent candidate rather than a libertarian because uh, um, the governor of Ohio and the state legislature made it very difficult for the. Libertarian Party to field candidates, um, Gee, uh, along with every other minor party candidate, but uh, but they uh, they found a way around that, and uh, and Gary Johnson will be on the ballot as an independentist, I believe. I um, I think we'll know that for sure towards the end of this week or next. But well, uh, yeah, that I, has I, to I, I, just to call ahead. on my uh, thirty years of field operations uh in this uh and and uh, recall that lexicon that has to suck for you uh because that, you don't need that you know i mean right. you've got you've got a mountain to climb as it is as as a non-traditional you know duopoly candidate and so what you really don't need is someone else on the ballot uh again i'm not being a bummer i just but you know we all know you don't need yeah. this so well, um, but but he won't be on he won't be on my ballot. He is running for president, so people <laughs> won't be seeing. <laughs> uh, Scott the, Rupert, uh, before I forget, and and I'm not. This does not signal an end to our nascent conversation here. What? How do people learn more about you? Thank you very much for that. The website is scottrupert.com. S C O T T R U P E R T. dot com. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at uh, www.facebook.com slash Rupert for Senate. Um, and at the top of that page, you'll find a video pinned explaining why I'm doing what I'm doing. You can also find me at, on Twitter at Rupert for Ohio. Um, All but, right. Uh, we the, will, well, I will ask you to repeat that before we uh, depart each other's company. But very good. since we cannot hit that button right now, uh, I'm going to uh, ask you to let me pretend to hit that button. And you you tell the best and brightest, uh, this national audience, uh, and, you know, w- with a, lo- a lot of folk in Ohio uh, here on the Blaze Radio Network, uh, tell us, you know, g- g- give us give us the Cliff Notes version, if you will, of what inspired you to run, particularly you know, into the face of such headwinds uh, against the duopoly that Republicans and Democrats enjoy. Uh, what what inspired you to run? What makes you different? What's your rationale of candidacy, Scott? Uh, and let me start by, by saying I'm, I'm a truck driver, not a politician, and I'm a truck driver right now. I am, I'm uh, hands-free on my headset. We're t- driving as we talk. And I will Good be crossing you. a state line here 
in short order. So there is the possibility that we'll get disconnected. If that is, if that were to happen, I'll call you back. Um, okay. There's another possibility. I um, believe there are some obscure statutes that make speaking to me while crossing state lines violative <laughs> of those laws. So I'd be very careful. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep my head down when I when I pass the right. when I, if I pass a cop. They, <laughs> uh, but I back in two thousand and eight during that election cycle, I was hearing advertisements from both Republicans and Democrats, basically saying nothing more than vote for us because we're not that. They, the the candidate the the campaigns were don't let the other guys have their way with you. And and that's not in in my opinion the way the way electoral politics is supposed to be run. It's supposed to be about ideas. And I decided I was going to do something about that. And I decided the way to do something about that was to get involved in the process as a nonpartisan candidate, as an independent candidate. And then I decided upon further analysis that the real problem in in federal government was uh, that the states were not represented and the role of the senate is to be the voice for the state in washington constitutionally that's their job regardless of how we elect them their job Indeed. is to be yep. the voice for the yep. state the, and then i decided since i was going to run for the senate i ought to actually read the constitution so i did <laughs> and i and upon doing that, I I came to the to the incredible conclusion that the Constitution actually solves all of our problems. The the all of the things that we're fighting about are not issues that federal government should even be addressing. State and local governments Amen. are the places for those arguments. Federal government's job is to provide security at the borders and infrastructure for the states, so the states can do commerce. And and I am committed to seeing this through. the The reason that an an, an alternative candidate has not won in the past, I think, has less to do with ideology and more to do with with finding the the avenues to get the message out, which is getting easier and easier with social media and and venues like yours. That is true. That um, is true. You are, but however, still you are a pioneer. And and I say that as a total compliment, and I am believing that I know my audience as they know me. Uh, I think I speak for us all when I say we really admire this because you, again, you decided to undertake something against fierce odds, uh, and and in a, in a, in a sense, a, a thankless job, but in the end, um, one that is so important and admirable that. Uh, and I don't say this to be in the least way patronizing or faux-philosophical, but this is the business I w was in for 30 years, running campaigns all over the world. And yeah, I'm aware the of fact that. that you, I'd love to have you help the fact that you, Well, the fact that you are run, the fact that you, you, Scott Rupert, made a commitment to run, to be a David against the Goliathian structure of the, the two major parties is so tremendously admirable. And I hope, I hope that you are plowing 
I know you are plowing new ground and you are a pioneer in this. And um, let me let me, if I may, ask you, what do you you know, I always talk about the 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 menu, the restaurant menu, column A and column B. And I always said to my clients, here's what we need to figure out. Usually it was when I said to them, we need to take a poll. And they'd say, why? We all know that Portman's winning right now, you know, or Strickland's winning. I'd say, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not why we need a poll. We need a poll because we need the menu. We need to find out on the left-hand side where your greatest strengths and uh, commitments are. Like what issue to which issues are you most greatly committed and excited about? And then on the right hand side of the menu, we have the same question only with the voters. And as well, you know, what we're always trying to do is match up those two. So, you know, you may say taxes. And uh, if if taxes does not hit the top five in column B, you kind of have to downplay it a little bit. You know, if education is not important to you, but education is number two among the voters, then you have to study up on education, you know, so that, yeah. you know, you have to find a match. Having gone through that process, what are the, what, what are the, you know, the top one, two issues you think that really define this race you've decided to make? The uh, restoring. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, Scott, my apologies. I did not see the clock. David's remind me we must break. Uh, We must. We will come right back. I hope you can stay with us. Scott Rupert is the independent candidate for the United States Senate in the state of Ohio. He rejoins us as we rejoin. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. And partners, one triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. We don't have a lot of time. I want to get right back to Scott Rupert, who's been kind enough to appear today. Scott Rupert is the independent candidate, and right there, bravo, bravo, bravo. The independent candidate in Ohio for the United States Senate seat. Uh, I don't need to give his opponents any more airtime by mentioning them. But, you know, it's the, the big cheese, the big wig Republican and the big wig Democrat. And, and Scott is a working man fighting against that. So, Scott, can we in the a couple minutes we have left, can we just, you know, give us your your, your elevator pitch? Why you? Yeah, well, wh- why you? Well, they. When I when I introduce myself to anyone, of course I don't know their ideology. When I when I begin a conversation, I introduce myself the same way. I say I shake my, shake their hand, hand them a card, and I say, Hi, "My name's Scott Rupert. I'm a truck driver, not a politician," and that gets them right there. And then I say, "I'm on the ballot as an independent candidate because neither party represents the people, and both are undermining the Constitution." And I'd really like to make them stop. And good for you. Invariably, for you. they'll say some. They'll say something to the tune of "Amen" or "Yeah, that's right." 
that yeah. we we all we all agree, Republican or Democrat, agree on what the problems are. We differ on the solutions, and and we differ on we the people all agree that government has gotten too big. The parties are content with big. They are happy with big government. Just because they we have so little time, may I stipulate? I'll stipulate to all of that in this audience. I can stipulate with a you know certainty yeah. of about ninety percent. We'll stipulate to that. Can you tell us the top two issues you think motivate you the most and work for you the best? Yeah. Restoring the sovereignty of the state and restoring the sovereignty of the nation by reducing our debt and getting us out of the United Nations. The uh, uh, our the 14th Amendment forbids the U.S. Treasury from funding organizations that are hostile to the United States and the, the the United Nations is. I'm running for the Senate because that is the sovereignty of the state. That's the voice for the state in Washington. The, so you worship uh, along I'm with doing, many of us at the altar of the 10th Amendment. Ohio is a and, sovereign and I, yes. commonwealth. <laughs> yes, yes. And yeah, but, yep. All right, we have less than a we have less than a minute, Scott Rupert. Can you tell us again, please, uh, quickly, run down that uh, summary of how we learn more about you? Sure. Um, when when my campaign succeeds, and I'll run again in 2018 if I have to, because I'm not Good doing this to be a senator. I'm doing this. We, to we really problems. only have 15 seconds, See, and I know you want Scott contact Rupert. out there. Yeah, scottrupert.com, S-C-O-T-T-R-U-P-E-R-T. Hit the donate button and help me make a difference. Scott, we really appreciate, I greatly appreciate what you're doing. And uh, we admire you for it. Blaze Radio Network. Captain's Log, best and brightest, Jay Severin, the Starship Blaze, Veritas. Welcome back, best and brightest. I am Jay Severin. We are together, the Blaze Radio Network. 1-888-900-3393. 1-888-900-3393. Interesting conversation we just had with uh, Scott Rupert. I so admire, knowing as I do, it having been my business for most of my life, knowing what it takes to run for office, especially if you are not you do not have lavished upon you the status, attention, money, uh, support network, etc., of being either the Republican or the Democrat. And that's the duopoly that's killing us. And every once in a while, someone like Scott Rupert comes along. And I don't know how much I agree with. I mean, it's, my guess is that I agree with most stuff. If, if we had a longer opportunity, which we may soon, to, to, to speak further with Scott Rupert. 
the independent candidate for U.S. Senate in the state of Ohio. But, you know, I'm almost... I'm almost less concerned with the individual issues on which I may agree with someone like Scott than I am with his guts and patriotism for running. Here's a guy who drives a truck for a living and is also willing to step into the public arena. And when you do that, you drag your family and your friends and everybody with you and you have to ask them for patience and sufferance and help and support and money and it takes a lot of guts scott rupert independent from uh state of ohio we'll, we'll speak more of him presently so at this moment oh at this moment i still don't have twitter i'll let you know when i do i've moaned enough about why and how that's uh, so but it remains so at this moment Donald Trump is receiving his first national, first ever, national security top secret briefing. Uh, Here is the asterisk via Obama administration officials. So, gee, you don't think maybe they'd get anything wrong or leave anything out that might trip him up and help Hillary. They wouldn't do that, right? Nah, (laughs) no one would do that. No, Obama would never do that. That's why Trump brought with him his uh, uh, U.S. general, a military advisor, and a couple of others, but, I, and this is not a cheap shot at uh, Donald Trump, honest. I, I like to think I haven't taken any cheap shots at him. Maybe ones for purposes of intended amusement, but not cheap. But I'm really curious, aren't you? Donald Trump, Donald Trump, remember who we're dealing with here, is receiving his first national security top secret briefing. I am really curious whether he might, again, given the self-admitted political amateur that he is, whether he might let slip in his remarks on the campaign trail something that he picked up in the briefing that absolutely ought not be publicly discussed. And in the How Campaigns Work department, I can offer you this. When the Clinton people sat down, when the top campaign minds, and they are, in the Clinton campaign, sit down, they deal with their schedule, but they're simultaneously always dealing on an astral plane with the opponent. And... Almost as important to them is what's Hillary doing on Wednesday? Is what's what's the opponent? What's our enemy doing on Wednesday? And so a, a strategy team is tasked with always knowing what the enemy is doing hour to hour. And that team is saying, well, 
he's receiving his first top secret security briefing. And then someone else in the room says, really? Well, suppose he F's that up. Suppose he walks out of there and five minutes, five hours, five days later says something. Suppose he cracks out of turn. Suppose he says something he's not supposed to say. He forgets something he's learned in the meeting and he thinks he can use, you know, to his advantage or to substantiate one of his, uh, you know, claims. And so he blurts out innocently, uh, at least by intention, he blurts out something he learned in this briefing. Well, I could promise you, just as we are playing this out right now, we're gaming this out, I can promise you that they have gamed this out seven ways from Sunday. And the Clinton campaign has a number of attacks ready if Donald Trump utters a word that they could construe as uh, inappropriate. So he, he, he has to be careful. Because one of the things that would play in beautifully, beautifully, to their attack on Trump would be whatever you think about the guy, he just isn't qualified for this job. And that is, as you know, indeed, one of the principal lines of attack against Trump by Clinton, right? I mean, Joe Biden, all this stuff is coordinated. All this stuff is prescripted. You you don't need me to tell you that. Biden in Scranton, Pennsylvania. What was it, yesterday, day before yesterday? And Biden says one of his two uh, most quotable quotes was, and with Biden, it's if there are two, you know, at least one of them is stupid. But uh, one of Biden's quotes was, no one in the history of the presidency of this country has ever been, has ever known less or been less prepared for this office than, than Donald Trump is right now. Okay, so since, <clears throat> with or without that statement, we know that a principal attack line against Trump by Clinton is... He is not informed. He is not prepared. He just doesn't have his the chops to do this. Okay, knowing, and that's not an opinion. We know that's true. We know that they. We know that's how they're attacking Trump. That's a fact. Okay, knowledgeable of that fact, then go back to my theory here. Suppose Trump lets slip something he learned in this briefing. And I promise you again that the Clinton people are going to be sitting there like a spider, just like a spider, waiting for Trump to say something that may have come out of this briefing. And if he does, they're going to go after him, I mean, flaming arrows, javelins to the neck and say, you see, this guy can't even tell. And how beautiful is this if you're Hillary Clinton and you're trying to tamp down the knowledge 
that you're a, a, a liar, that you're a chronic, untrustworthy, traitorous liar, and that you've shared our national secrets with people because you're a fat, traitor, liar. Okay, let me stop there. I should not have called her Hillary. Uh, but wouldn't you love to be able to like counterpunch against Trump by saying, look at this guy. He gets his first briefing and he blurts it out for the world to hear, you know, an hour, a day, a week later. Doesn't this prove what we've been saying? This guy is not qualified for this job. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. As David and I were just discussing uh, in the David Mamet classic, I was really counting on it coming to me. Yes, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Thank you, David. In the and you, and if you're a guy, this is one of the classic movies that every girl I know hates. This movie and all of the guys. Real guys, I know, love this movie. I happened to see it on in previews on Broadway, and it was it was great. But it was better as believe it or not, it was better as a movie than it was in its original form as a uh, as a play by David Mamet. In any case, in Glengarry Glen Ross, Alec Baldwin in probably I think what is consensually agreed to be the most brilliant scene of many in the film is when he comes to tell the sales staff, you know, you suck and you're going to do a better job or you're all going to be fired, which is the thesis of, of his, uh, of the scene, of his appearance there. And he writes up on the blackboard, A, B, C, A, always B, B, C, closing, always B, closing. Good evening. Would you like to sign? How are you? You want to sign? Oh, it's nice. You have a son and a daughter in school. You have grandchildren. That's nice. You want to sign? Always be closing. Of course, I'm not talking about real estate here. Well, of a, after a fashion, I am. But let's not get into that. As we speak, Donald Trump is receiving his first ever top secret campaign briefing. Yes. Here's what else he's doing is endeavoring to ignore and hope the media will minimize their reportage of the fact that he has made a as major, as epic a campaign shakeup as I have ever seen in my lifetime in a campaign. And maybe that's because we didn't used to report on this stuff. But in as much as I've been actively involved at the national level in campaigns and politics since, uh, well, 1978, 
was my first cycle. I mean, if you don't count my having founded my grade school civics club and newspaper in the fifth grade and a lifetime of geekery since then uh, and the geekery of the civic circus maximus type. My first campaign cycle, actually writing speeches, commercials, all that stuff, 1978. Yes, yes, I was a child prodigy. Now I am an aging prodigy. What of it? Anyway, uh, uh, since then, I've never heard of a shakeup this big in the business this late. And I'm surprised that the networks are not paying it more attention. CNN is. Because CNN, you know, I mean, you know, whatever you think Fox is, CNN is mirror image times 50. So CNN looks every day for their lead story in something that will injure conservatives or Republicans or in the absence of either Trump. <laughs> and... So that's their lead story. Uh, Trump campaign collapsing brings in uh, new assassins at last minute to try and help him, which, you know what, is not far from the truth. And uh, the Trump epic campaign shakeup begs two questions. Well, first of all, what is it? What it is, is that they have hired a new pollster, Kellyanne, I see, I've, I, I've known her for 30 years. I know her as Kellyanne Fitzpatrick. I don't even know her married name, but it's Kellyanne somebody. Uh, maybe it's still Fitzpatrick. I don't know. Why do I get the feeling it's another name? But uh, Kellyanne Fitzpatrick is uh, now on board as the, uh, at the title of campaign manager. Now, her absolute specialty is polling, but any any good pollster, and she is, is a good strategist and campaign manager, new, Kellyanne Fitzpatrick. And uh, Bob Bannon, is it? I don't even know him. I, 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 I knew Andrew Breitbart, but I don't know Bob Bannon. And I may have just proven it by giving you the wrong name. Uh, but he he was running Breitbart, and now he is on board as the campaign CEO. <laughs> and all of this, I, I laugh, I, though I cry, the tears of a clown. I, I, I laugh and cry because look at all the, look at all of the calisthenics the campaign is going through to try and make it appear as though Paul Manafort is still the boss. And you know what? Maybe he is still the What do I know? Maybe he is still the boss. But I don't think with 82 days left, you bring in Kellyanne to be the pollster strategist and you bring in Bob Bannon to be the CEO. What does that mean? The CEO of the campaign? Well, he is a hard ass, is Bob, a conservative. He is a political, you know, assassin. He's a killer. He's, 
he's the kind of guy, depending on who you are and what kind of campaign you're running, the kind of guy you want. As I've said, Kellyanne's very good at what she does. But that's all well and good. The real questions this begs, your questions, I'm sure, are what does this, if anything, mean? What does this portend for the campaign? Answer. I know these folks. The only rational answer to the question, will this have any effect on the Trump campaign, is, of course it will. And as to the question, okay, what particular effect? Answer, this is it. This is the definitive signal that as we have been discussing now for last several weeks, this is the definitive signal that what you see is what you get. The Trump you see is the Trump you get. This indicates, particularly given these new top-level advisors, that Trump is doubling down on, quote-unquote, being Donald Trump. Period. Period. Now, postscript, I believe, as aforesaid, that Paul Manafort had a political bullet with his name on it the moment the New York Times published that story on Sunday, insinuating, claiming, actually, that Paul Manafort had received a $12 million cash payment from Russia. I believe that Paul Manafort was on the thinnest of ice as of that moment. Yes? Jay Seven on the Blaze Radio Network. is the Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Whale, 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 partners. I am Jay Severin. We are the Blaze Radio Network. One, <clears throat> pardon me, I was getting all choked up. One, triple eight, nine hundred, three, three, nine, three. And I may, I do, you know, get choked up. One, triple eight, nine hundred, three, three, nine, three. So Trump makes epic campaign shake up. What does it mean? It means that he has decided, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. That's it. There's your headline. And that's what it means. And that's what he's going to do. And what does that mean? That means that has absolutely no effect on my prediction of however many weeks ago now it is we discussed this. And that is, there is, or is not, a silent majority for Trump. There either is or is not. There is you is or is you ain't my baby. Okay? In all, all my years of political experience, if you have any question for me, here's my answer. Is you is or is you ain't my baby. Okay? 
is you is or is you ain't a secret Trump voter. And I know there are, and you know, there are many people unwilling to say out loud that they'll vote for Trump. I get that. And it wouldn't be the first time that someone had a silent majority and still won. Uh, but it's it's uh, it, it's not helpful. Having to count on a silent majority, you know, having to say five million white Republicans did not show up to vote for Mitt Romney, who did vote in the previous election for the Republican candidate. That's worth considering, but it's another thing to hang your entire hat your fate on that. But that's those are the sorts of things they're counting on. So there there either is or is not a silent majority for Trump. And there's another thing. The 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 laws of political physics and the laws of political gravity are such that he's going to get another look. There, There is, I predict, going to be, and this is nothing new, it's an easy prediction to make, there is always a second, or for many people, believe it or not, a first look that they give the candidate. I mentioned this yesterday. Right now, if you believe the worst case scenario as suggested, when I say worst, I mean... Hillary becoming president. Okay. That's what I mean by worst. Okay, so if you believe the worst case scenario as suggested by the polls right now, Hillary has a 10-point lead everywhere. I'm not talking about national polls, although national polls consistently show that too. I mean in the swing states. With the exception of Indiana, she's killing Trump everywhere. Everywhere. Florida, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Mexico, Colorado, Wisconsin, killing them. But people hate her. It's just that I'll go back to two facts. Well, sorry, two claims that were broadcast by national media last week that I can neither prove nor disprove. So I'll just characterize them as claims, share them with you again. Uh, Claim one, 51%, 51% of Americans make less than $30,000 a year. What do you think, what, what impact do you think that has on their attitude toward government? If you make less than $30,000 a year and you're single and you live in Terre Haute, Indiana, you're probably okay. You're probably a little bit of okay. If you if you live anywhere near an American city and you make $30,000 a year and you're single, you po. If you are married, If you are married with a child, 
If you are married with more than one child, you very po. Very po. 51% of Americans make less than $30,000 a year. Consider. Is all I'm saying. Claim number two. For the first time in American history, when Americans go to the polls in 82 days, one of three American voters, one out of every three, will be a person of color. I ask you, oh, and 53% of all voters, female. I would otherwise not mention that, but Donald Trump does have, he is in a spot of bother with female voters. So I ask you to consider those claims. And for the sake of argument, let's stipulate that they're true. That half of Americans make less than $30,000 and one one out of three voters will be a person of color and the majority women. I ask you to consider those facts as such. Uh, Individually and in tandem and see if they strike you as signifying anything. Do they strike you as significant? They, They do me. And uh, it gives me an idea of the nature and magnitude of the hill that Donald Trump still has to conquer in this. But there it is. And in, in the end, there is you is or is you ain't my Trump baby. There either is or is not a silent majority for Trump. But by no conventional measure right now does this look like a race that Donald Trump can win. Again, by no conventional measure. And and a a lot of us ought to look at that and say, well, that's great. (laughs) Because no conventional measure has been right so far this year. So there's your encouragement. Uh, Except that I always kind of hope to bank on something more substantial than than that. Uh, but there we are. Trump last night gave a law and order speech in Milwaukee. He included in his speech what's being called an, an African-American reach out or outreach. He said in his speech, look, you know, I, I'm I'm for punishing the lawbreakers and the rioters to the utmost degree. I'm for the police. The war against police must end, and it must end now. These are all quotes. And he said, but know that I am for, and I ask for the vote of every African-American mother and father who wants to be safe in their neighborhoods, who wants their kids to be able to come and go to school, to walk the streets of their neighborhoods, to, to get a decent education, to be safe. because without that, nothing else matters. So he did make the attempt. However, the the average average of black support for Donald Trump in the polls right now is, well, let me give you a hint. It's, It's single digits. 
Does anyone wish to guess which single digit I'm thinking of? One. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. All right, partners, you wanted politics, so we're doing politics. And we're doing it unvarnished because we don't do another kind here. Now, Trump did decide to jujitsu the rhinos. He did that two ways. He hired these two new people for his staff, which was in the narrow, within the narrow context of Republican Party politics, right? So let's let's erase the rest of the world and just look at the rhinos. Uh, Rince Pubis and uh, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and all these all these other rhinos that run what's left of the skeleton, the dried husk uh, of the Republican Party. In that universe, this was a giant F.U. This was Trump saying, okay, okay, sure, I'll pivot. Pivot this. And he brought in people who are going to make him, well, are going to offer him advice on how to be even more consistently combative to be polarizing. And you know, at this point, he has no choice. He is a polarizing figure, and I defy any of us to name anybody in history who was not a polarizing figure. Now, that doesn't make them good. Jesus was a polarizing figure. Mussolini was a polarizing figure. They had little in common. But they were both polarizing figures. But you know what? Sometimes great leaders or bad leaders. But I mean, prominent folk are often polarizing, aren't they? Speaking of which, uh, there's a promo running today on Fox News that has Bill O'Reilly saying Glenn Beck says Donald Trump has something in common with Black Lives Matter. Tonight, he tells us what that is. That tonight is this night. So in, uh, as I speak to you at just before 5 o'clock Eastern Time, In three hours on the Fox News Channel, the boss is, no, not Bruce Springsteen, the real boss, Glenn Beck, is scheduled to appear. And if this promo is in any way accurate, then we're in for some fireworks. Thought you would like to know. But uh, Trump decided on his jujitsu with the rhinos 
And after all these rumors that they're going to dump him, they're going to find a new candidate, he sucks, you know, do what we say or we're not going to give you any money. Uh, we're going to just worry about the down ballot races. You've heard this, right? May I share with you a political reality as opposed to the crepe these people are handing you? There is no such thing as a down ballot race without an up ballot race. <laughs> I mean, these these rhino public agonizing musings that are disloyal to the to the nominee is the worst kind of cowardly self-destructive and frankly masturbatory behavior and as woody allen said uh don't knock masturbation at least it's sex with someone i love now the the rhinos are not going to elect a new republican candidate other than trump and this fantasy rationale that, well, we're going to forget the top of the ticket and we're just going to concentrate on the down ballot races. Right? And we, we, we know that means all of, all of the races below the level of president. So senator, governor, congressman, all of that, right? It's, it's, it's a destructive fantasy. And it is nonsense. It is drivel. As any college freshman in politics 101 or anybody with actual field experience in politics, which these imbeciles don't have, most of them just don't know, without the top of the ticket, if it's a quadrennial year, i.e. a presidential year, there is no down ticket. I mean, yes, of course there's down ticket races, but... If the candidate at the top of your ballot loses by three, four points or more, you will never succeed in divorcing yourself from or avoiding or even largely mitigating the catastrophic impact that will automatically accrue to the down ballot races. In other words, in a presidential year, if your presidential fails big time, all of your down ballot candidates will fail too. And they have to understand this. This is Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.